Mr. Term Limits Goes to Washington. For the first time in 20 years, last week the U.S. Senate held hearings on congressional term limits, and the star witness was our own Nick Tombalides. Hi, I'm Philip Blumel. Welcome to No Uncertain Terms, the official podcast of the term limits movement for the week of June 24th, 2019. Your sanctuary from partisan politics. Senator Ted Cruz chaired a hearing before the Judiciary Committee Subcommittee on the Constitution last Tuesday. It was titled, Keeping Congress Accountable, Term Limits in the United States, and featured Senator Cruz, Senator Maisie Hirono of Hawaii, Senator Ben Sass of Nebraska, former Senator Jim DeMint of South Carolina, and the Executive Director of U.S. Term Limits, who's going to tell us how it went. Hey, Nick. Hey, Phil. Uh, first, I want to say that I thought you did a fantastic job in representing the issue and also our organization, Washington, last week. Thank you. I appreciate the compliment. We're going to hear some of your testimony in just a bit, but let's set the scene first. Where did this take place? This took place in uh, Dirksen building of the U.S. Senate. That's where all the Senate offices are, and that's also where most of the major hearings are. It was in the Judiciary Committee room, which is uh, probably best known to the American public as the place where Brett Kavanaugh was questioned by the Judiciary Committee over a series of days. So I not only got to be in the same room where that took place, but I got to sit at the same table where Kavanaugh was and take questions from some of the same senators. It was really cool. I was hoping, by the way, that maybe Kavanaugh had left a six-pack of beer <laughs> under the table to help to help me get through the hearing, but unfortunately, it wasn't no. there. Well, you did all right anyways, I gotta say. Uh. <laughs> so, sometimes you need it, though, to deal with politicians, right, sure. just to take that edge off a little bit, because it can be frustrating at times. I'm sure it was. On this committee, which is the subcommittee on the Constitution, which is a, a subcommittee of the Senate Judiciary Committee, the chairman, as we mentioned, was Ted Cruz. Also, John Cornyn of Texas is on this committee, uh, Mike Krapp of Idaho, Ben Sass of Nebraska, uh, Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee. Uh, those are the Republicans. And on the uh, Democrats committee is uh, Maisie Hirono, Dick Durbin of Illinois, Sheldon Whitehouse of Rhode Island, Chris Coons of Delaware, and Kamala Harris of uh, California. So were all 10 of these senators engaging you last Tuesday? No. No, actually, only four of the senators showed up. Um, <laughs> Ted Cruz, the chairman, he had to be there. He's the guy who called the hearing. He's actually the sponsor of the, the U.S. Term Limits Amendment. Mm -hmm. uh, the ranking member, Hirono, who is the leading Democrat on the committee, she was there as well. And then Mike Lee from Utah and Ben Sass from Nebraska, both Republicans. Okay. Uh, the rest of the committee members were, were totally absent. But they didn't really have a good excuse because right before this hearing, the full Senate was actually voting on some judges mm -hmm. on the Senate chamber. There was literally nothing stopping them from coming into this hearing and discussing term limits, except maybe some of them feared talking about it. Oh, I have no doubt. They, they, they didn't want to face the music. They didn't want to have to confront some of the arguments and confront their terrible track record. Right. And Kamala Harris is probably out politicking, running for president. It's so funny you mentioned that. Um, I didn't know what Kamala Harris was doing, but when I was flying back from D.C. later that evening, I was watching MSNBC on my seat back, mm -hmm. and I saw Kamal Harris was in New York City on the Lawrence O'Donnell show, and she was talking about how President Trump doesn't understand the importance of his job. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was thinking to myself, do you grasp the irony here? Like, this is unbelievable. You just missed a very important committee hearing on term limits. A subject that is important to 82% of the people in the United States. 
Exactly. So she says this on the same day she didn't show up for her own job and missed a major committee hearing. <laughs> it really, I think the fact that so many senators missed the hearing just underscores why term limits are so important. Absolutely. Could you imagine if you had a job in the real world? Could you imagine if you were a plumber or an accountant or a lawyer or you worked at Taco Bell or wherever and you just decided, I'm not going to show up today. Right. I'm not going to give anyone a good reason. I just don't feel like coming into work. You would be out on your ass with a pink slip. It's only acceptable in the fantasy land of Washington, D.C. to behave like that. But That's in the right. real world, in the real world, that is ridiculous behavior. They should have been there. Term limits is a really important subject to the American people. And they really just made the case for term limits by not showing up. They did indeed. So let's start out by listening to your opening remarks. Um, this was on the second of two panels that were held that afternoon. And the first was with former Senator Jim DeMint, but we'll hear from him in next week's podcast. But starting on the second panel, last Tuesday was our own Nick Tombalides. Let's roll it. Mr. Nick Tombalides is the executive director of U.S. Term Limits, one of the nation's leading advocacy groups in favor of term limits. Under his leadership, U.S. Term Limits launched the Term Limits Convention, a campaign to obtain a constitutional amendment for term limits via Convention of the States. Nick is a graduate of the University of Connecticut and is cur currently resides in Melbourne, Florida with his family. Our first witness, Mr. Tumbalides. Thank you, Mr. Chairman and Senators for providing me an opportunity to address this important issue. I want you to imagine for a moment that you are an employer and you've got some problems with your employees. When you hired these employees, they promised they would do exactly what you asked of them. But once they got the job, they became a nightmare. They stopped listening to you and started using the job to line their own pockets. They took the company credit card and racked up more debt than you could afford to pay back. They became so obsessed with keeping their jobs that they forgot to do their jobs. And after all that failure, all that disappointment, and all that incompetence, your employees came to you and said, we deserve a raise. If you're a reasonable person, that should make your blood boil. And yet, that is exactly what it feels like to be an American taxpayer. The first three words in our Constitution are, we the people. It's written larger than anything else because the framers of that document, the architects of our republic, wanted to remind you at all times who's in charge. We the people. We are your employers, and you have an obligation to listen to us. So I come to you with a message from the American people. We demand term limits for members of Congress. In fact, according to the most recent national polls on the issue, 82% of Americans want term limits. That includes support from 89% of Republicans, 76% of Democrats, and 83% of independent voters. This is not a left or right issue. This is an American issue. In fact, term limits could be the only issue with support from both President Trump and former President Obama. Now, there was a time about 25 years ago when Congress was debating this. Nearly every opponent of term limits up here had the same rebuttal. Experience, experience, experience. We need experience to do this job right. If only you leave your Congress member in office for decades on end, he or she will become such a policy expert that all our problems will be solved. In hindsight, that was one of the worst predictions ever. This system is broken. Congress has given us $22 trillion in debt, the longest war in American history, a broken health care system, a broken immigration system, a tax code written by lobbyists, an explosion of money in politics. Worst of all, too few here have the courage to address these problems because the only focus is on getting reelected. That's why it comes as no surprise that Congress has a 60%, 14% approval rating, and 60% of Americans 
say that they would fire every single member of Congress if they could. Congress is less popular than traffic jams, root canals, and hemorrhoids. You're beating head lice, but the lice have asked for a recount. Unfortunately, elections alone cannot fix this problem. Not because voters like you guys so much, but due to the nearly unbreakable power of incumbency. At the same time members of Congress publicly claim elections are free and fair, they secretly deploy every trick in the book to keep power. Incumbents get $9 in special interest money for every dollar that goes to a challenger. And if incumbents are having difficulty raising money, not to worry, they're allowed to send campaign-style mailers at taxpayer expense. That's to say nothing of all the free media and name recognition politicians naturally get just for being in office. The incumbent advantage creates a barrier to entry for everyday Americans without the connections to fund a campaign. It is the case for term limits. Elections may in theory be capable of dethroning incumbents, but that isn't how it works in the real world. Congressional incumbents have a 98% re-election rate. That probably explains why Congress looks more like a country club than a melting pot. It's predominantly made up of lawyers and politicians and is disproportionately old, white, rich, and male. Term limits would give us a legislature that better reflects the diversity of our society. The message long-term incumbents send to young people like me seems to be, we want you just close enough to the political process to help us win, but don't get too close and take our jobs. The American people have lost confidence in this Congress, and for good reason. We routinely see abuses of power. 18 months ago, it was revealed that members of Congress were secretly using taxpayer money to settle lawsuits, some for sexual harassment. You still haven't disclosed how our money was spent and on whose behalf. So term limits is a check on arrogance, it's a check on incumbency, and it's a check on power. It's a way to restore political courage while bringing fresh faces and ideas to Washington. As Ben Franklin said, for the rulers to return among the people was not to degrade them, but to promote them. As Kanye West said, no one man should have all that power. Here's the dilemma we face. Over 80% of Americans want term limits to happen. Donald Trump and Barack Obama want it. It is being blocked purely by the self-interest of Congress. If this were a trial, you all would have to recuse yourselves because there is a colossal conflict of interest. If term limits pass, you won't stay in the limelight forever. You won't be the center of attention. And some people might even stop laughing at your jokes. You'll have to become ordinary citizens. And that is, my friends, the entire point. We're asking you to do what's right and listen to the people you represent. It's time to bring the gravy train into the station, end the reign of career politicians, and give Congress back to the people. Please support Senate Joint Resolution 1 for term limits. Thank you. <laughs> you really gave it to him. Like, that bit about the head lice is classic. You like that? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I had to uh, I had to submit my, uh, my remarks in advance to the Senate committee. I'm not going to name any of these guys, but some of the committee staffers sent me a note on the eve of the hearing, and they, they basically said, you can't say head lice in the United States Congress. You can't compare politicians <laughs> to head lice. You know what's going to happen if we circulate this? You know how the senators are going to be outraged? And I was thinking, well, senators are going to be outraged. This is a good thing. Maybe I need to amp it up a little bit more. Uh, so I was just getting kind of encouraged by this. And then one of them actually said to me, if you say this, we might have to eject you from the hearing. 
And so my response was, I hear senators say this all the time. I listen to cable news. You know, there was a senator from Louisiana. He said something about head lice a few weeks ago on morning show. The Washington Post prints these polls on the front page about how Congress is less popular than head lice. So I said, you know what? I'm just going to go for it. I'm just going to say it because this is how I feel and this is how most Americans feel. And I don't think I should be, uh, you know, bottled up by politicians. And is it not typical Washington, D.C., though, to have staffers reach out to you and be totally inhibited, totally risk averse, not willing to say anything that might ruffle feathers or offend somebody? I mean, that's all too typical. And I knew if we were going to come in there and we were going to turn over the tables and really dismantle the system and make our case, we couldn't pull any punches. Yeah, I'm really glad you did. I think it was called for necessary. And plus, it also increased the impact of your testimony. We've been seeing it all over the internet and people, what did they point to? But your testimony and particularly that part of your testimony. My only concern was is that um, the chairman of this committee is our sponsor on the bill and a true believer. He's really out there fighting the fight to try to get this done and called this hearing. I mean, I wonder what he thought about it. At the end of the hearing, Cruz walks up to me, and you're going to have to pardon this terrible Cruz impression. He walks right (laughs) up to me, and he said, when you compared us to head lice, and then he just paused for a second. I said, yeah? He just leaned in further, and he said, when you compared us to head lice, that was being too generous. I was just like thinking this this guy is this guy is my brother from another mother. He is uh, he's a true believer when it comes to term limits. And I knew he didn't make his political career by pulling punches around politicians either. So we were totally singing from the same hymnal on that. Right. Next, let's hear the portion of the testimony where after the second panel has uh, made their introductory remarks, um, we have uh, Chairman Cruz asking you some questions. And then there was some other uh, back and forth. Let's hear that. Mr. Tombolinis, your organization, U.S. Term Limits, has been one of the major groups supporting term limits for Congress since the 1990s. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us about how your group got started and how it got involved in the term limits movement? Uh, yeah. The, the term limits is basically the largest grassroots movement in the history of our country. Uh, this has never been a politician-driven enterprise. In fact, politicians don't like term limits. That's why I think it's such a good idea. But this was basically started in a a small group of people across several states in the early 1990s um, were just dissatisfied with the the quality of government that they were getting at the state level and from Congress. Uh, They had looked at presidential term limits, which were ratified in the Constitution in 1951, and said, uh, this has served our country well. This has struck a good balance uh, between getting a fresh face in office, um, you know, with allow- without allowing them to become too stale. And so they, they developed the, the concept for legislative term limits at the state level and congressional term limits. It went to the ballot in 23 states, and it was passed in all 23 states with an average yes vote of 70%, without any help from the political class. Um, so that, that's basically how it got started. We formed an organization around this to continue promoting the effort because largely, despite some of what you've heard today, term limits in the states have worked very well. Uh, states with term limits actually have the most competitive elections in the country. That's the chief aim of term limits, to make elections more competitive. The state uh, with the tightest term limits, Michigan, is the only state in the country with 100% of its elections contested. Um, and as for the idea that political experience is, is more valuable than real-world experience, that's not what we see happening at the state level. 
Uh, among rankings of states by fiscal health, the states with term limits tend to be clustered toward the top, and the states run by career politicians are pretty much at the bottom. I live in Florida. We were ranked number one in fiscal health um, for, I think, three consecutive years. Uh, we just dropped down to three or four, but it's okay. We're beaten by two other term limit states. Um, so you know, the results at the state level have really borne fruit, and I think it would have an even bigger impact here in Congress because the political class is even more entrenched. You know, one of the benefits of term limits, I believe, is increasing the diversity of representation. Uh, back in 1995, uh, Edward H. Crane testified to this committee that term limits would increase the number and diversity of Americans choosing to run for Congress. Uh, and, and Dr. Rausch, you, you testified in particular that in California, term limits probably speeded up the increase in female and, and minority representation. Um, and and your testimony also cites an, an article by Samantha Petty that finds that women are more likely to successfully run for the state legislature in states with term limits. Can, can you tell us a little bit more about that conclusion? I, I, I can. Uh, there's really a, an interesting point to that conclusion. I mean, I would give you the actual percentages, but I didn't memorize them. But the, uh, it, it's interesting that she did find that in... And we find this in other elections as well. Typically in an open seat election, if it's between a male candidate and a female candidate, in an open seat election, the female candidate has a better chance of winning than in a female running against an incumbent. What she found that, that was particularly interesting and maybe, maybe more relevant to our discussion today is that it tended to favor Democratic women versus Republican women. That in an open seat election where the Republican woman was running against a Democratic male, uh, in an open seat, the Democratic male was going to win. Uh, so there's a, it's a sort of a double-edged sword, but, but definitely it, it does show that in an open seat election, women tend to run and tend to win more often. Well, and I guess it's my understanding that Dr. Petty's paper also says, quote, uh, this pattern of, of women prevailing, running and prevailing more often holds for both Republican and Democratic female candidates. I'll have to go back and reread it. But the summary that I saw showed that it. That she, she took the article and she made a blog entry at the London School of Economics. They have an interesting blog. And uh, she, and maybe she misspoke or mis-summarized her own article, which I can't believe. But uh, she suggested that it does, and maybe she also looked at additional elections too, that, uh, that it, it really favors more Democratic women than it does Republican women. Now, also, we need to look to see how many Republican women run. It might be the other... The other well, question. Without objection, we'll, we'll enter her, her full article into the record. Sure. It'll be part of this, this committee hearing's record. Um, Mr. Tombalidis, in your experience, why is there such overwhelming popular support for term limits, and why does it cut across party lines? Why does it include not just Republicans, but independents and Democrats? If, in fact, Dr. Rausch just testified that, that term limits produces more women and more minorities in office. What, um, why do you see such overwhelming support? I think we see such overwhelming and bipartisan support because the American people have largely concluded that powerful incumbents in both parties are basically colluding against them to keep newcomers, to keep fresh faces and ideas out of the political process. I think that's also leading to a lot of voter apathy in our country. Uh, Senator Hirono mentioned earlier finding ways to get more people involved in politics. 
if elections are a foregone conclusion and 98% of incumbents are going to get returned to office every two years, I think it's a very fair question to ask, what's the point? Uh, when you have term limits, you are guaranteed a competitive open seat election on a regular basis. Voters are guaranteed more options at the ballot box. That is more, it's more exciting, it's more in line with uh, what our framers envisioned for how this country should, should really work. I also think there's record levels of frustration with Washington, D.C. You know, we're now in several decades of an experiment with professional politicians, and by any objective standard, it has failed. Things have gotten much worse here, not better. Thank you. Senator Hirono. Thank you. Let me ask you, Mr. Tombaludis. Um, I noted some other ways that we can encourage more voter participation, which you just cited as a good thing. Uh, do you support making voting easier in the United States, not harder? Uh, absolutely, Senator. Do you support making voter registration as simple as possible? Um, I do, yeah, depending on the details of that proposal. Well, assuming that they're all citizens and all that. Um, do you support st stopping unnecessary and discriminatory purging of voters? Uh, absolutely. Do you support making it easier for people to vote early or allow them to vote by, by mail? Uh, I would have to see the specifics of the proposal to give you an answer on that. I, I'd say not all early voting proposals are created equal. Well, we won't get into why all of that. I just want to go okay, down this sure. list. So, um, would you condemn discriminatory voter ID laws? Uh, I, I'm admittedly not an expert in, uh, in voter ID laws, so uh, I'm not going to take a position on that right now. I'd have to do more research into that topic. Uh, term limits is more my bailiwick. Well, would you, but it is your bailiwick that you would like to see more, more voters correct, uh, correct. participate. So um, would you condemn a discriminatory voter ID laws, for example, that uh, identifies the kind of IDs that blacks usually have, that identifies the kind of IDs that students have, and then the voter ID law would specifically require different kinds of IDs for these two groups of voters. Would you condemn that kind uh, of law? Senator, I unequivocally condemn all forms of discrimination against all, uh, all groups uh, regardless. So it sounds like you would condemn that kind of a voter ID law. Uh, if that were indeed the, the, the law, yes. Yes, that is indeed the, the uh, concept for a lot, uh, underlying a lot of the voter, ID law, um, the voter ID laws. Would you condemn partisan gerrymandering? Absolutely. Do you think we should enact a law to reverse the Shelby County decision that, that eviscerated the Voting Rights Act? Uh, I'm not 100% uh, familiar with that specific decision. It did eviscerate the Voting Rights Act. Um, do you think we should counter election fraud, such as what we saw in North Carolina? Um, Senator, I think in, in debating the merits of uh, a proposal for congressional term limits, while there may be other ideas out there uh, that also have merit, that does not obviate the need to impose term limits on Congress. I mean, 82% of Americans want term limits on Congress, and I believe that's the reason why we're here today. Yeah, I think I was the only one up there without a PhD among the four people on the panel. So I try to talk with common sense that every person watching can understand. Um, so that's why I, I think I stood out a little bit more, maybe in a good way, uh, depending on your perspective. But when Hirono started asking me this, it's like this really weird line of questioning. It had nothing to do with term limits. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. 
What was she even talking about? She was talking about all kinds of other voting stuff. I'm sure some of which uh, you know has a lot of merit. And I'm looking over at Cruz the entire time, like, what's going on? Why is mm. she asking me about this? Could you possibly step in and maybe say something? And he wasn't. So at one point, I just said to her, Senator, let's stay on topic. This is a mm. hearing about term limits. We're here because 82% of Americans want this, and we really shouldn't be discussing these other issues. It's like, if I'm here to tell you about the evils of heart disease, and you start asking me questions about how lupus is also bad, that right. doesn't mean heart disease stops being important. It's, it's just right. really bad bad logic. And mm-hmm. I think she was kind of making the case for term limits with her actions. I decided to let her go on for a few minutes instead of responding in kind because I wanted to let the viewers see how their tax dollars are being wasted on right. this frivolity and the circus of the Senate. I sort of felt like that she, like the other senators who didn't show up, didn't want to be there. She didn't want to talk about term limits. She hardly said anything about term limits the whole afternoon. She really just kept wanting to bring up these other subjects. Very interesting. She was pretty quiet about it, but I will tell you that during my main testimony, I was looking directly at her for a majority of the time, hmm. and I could almost see in her eyes that she kind of agreed with me in a weird way. Interesting. But she was she, she was kind of like nodding a little bit when I was uh, discussing all the problems with Washington. But, you know, having been there for as long as she's been there, I think maybe 30 years, she's not able to admit it, right? Because it cuts against her own self-interest and right. cuts against the self-interest of her colleagues. And therein lies the problem with trying to get term limits out of Congress, um, that they basically have a conflict of interest. It's not going to happen unless the states apply some pressure and we continue to advocate all over the country. Hi, this is Scott Tillman, the National Field Director with U.S. Term Limits. Mississippi is a state that has odd-year elections for state legislature. We ask the candidates in those races to sign a pledge to help us term limit Congress. The pledge reads, I pledge that as a member of the state legislature, I will co-sponsor, vote for, and defend the resolution applying for an Article 5 convention for the sole purpose of enacting term limits on Congress. We had eight Mississippi candidates sign the pledge this week. We now have 37 candidates in Mississippi who have pledged to support congressional term limits. If you have access to a candidate, please ask them to sign our pledge. Pledges are available at termlimits.com. Okay, let's continue to uh, listen to some of the hearing. This is the wrap-up with Senator Cruz and others. Roll it. I will note that problem you're highlighting uh, was recently underscored by a report that showed of the exiting members of Congress from the last Congress, I believe in excess of 60% of them, went to become lobbyists. That, in turn, prompted... uh, Democratic freshman House member Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez to tweet out to the world uh, that she favored a lifetime ban on former members of Congress becoming lobbyists, to which I promptly retweeted and said, I agree, let's work together. That uh, had some uh, interesting reactions in the Twitter world, but, but I have long advocated a lifetime ban for members of Congress becoming lobbyists for the same reason that I support term limits, because both uh, are, are ways to address the culture of corruption, bipartisan corruption in Washington. We finally agree. <laughs> it's a really positive well, way to end this hearing. Well, th- 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 that is a fabulous thing, I'm, I, and I'm, we, we are working uh, actually with Representative Ocasio-Cortez. We'll see if we have bipartisan legislation on that, but that would be good. Let, let, let me ask Mr. Tambalitas a, a, a final question. So... The amendment I've I've introduced to impose congressional term limits, as I mentioned, it has 14 co-sponsors. 
Um, as I was looking down the list of, of co-sponsors, uh, two, two things stand out. Uh, number one, uh, every single one of those co-sponsors was elected in 2010 or, or more recently. In other words, not a single co-sponsor of the amendment was elected prior to 2010. And number two, sadly, of the 14 co-sponsors, none of them are Democrats. Now, you've testified roughly 70% of Democratic voters support term limits, and yet zero Democratic senators right. uh, are supporting a constitutional term limits amendment. Um, why do you think it is that none of, the rep none of the senators elected before 2010 are willing to support this policy that the overwhelming majority of the American people want, and that none of the Democratic senators are willing to support this policy that the overwhelming majority of Democratic voters want. So I can't go uh, entirely into their, their motivations, but I can imagine for those who were elected before 2010, there is some feeling that they may be viewed as hypocrites if they were to co-sponsor this legislation. And um, that might be a uh, uh, mistaken understanding of the legislation itself. There are two forms of term limits out there. There's the self-term limit when someone runs for Congress and says, I will voluntarily step down over a certain number of terms. And then there are constitutional term limits. That is, that is what SJR 1, your amendment, aims to tackle. A constitutional term limit would apply this term limit across the board to every member of Congress. And there should really be no compunction among more senior members over supporting something like that um, because they were elected under a different system. They know seniority is the currency here in Washington, D.C., and no one should begrudge them uh, using that currency to its fullest advantage. But what we're saying is we want to dramatically overhaul the incentives in this place and create an atmosphere of competition and political courage uh, that simply did not exist before. Um, with respect to Democrats, uh, I, I don't know precisely why they're not supporting it uh, to a greater extent, but I do say that term limits are very consistent with democratic ideals of making elections more fair. Right now, the cost of unseating a House incumbent is pegged at $2.5 million by the Center for Responsive Politics. If you have less than $1 million to your name, your odds of winning a seat in Congress over an incumbent are two in 293. So the deck Just, just repeat that last sentence. Yeah. yeah, if you have less than $1 million, in your campaign account, your odds of unseating a House incumbent are two in 293. Wow. According to OpenSecrets.org, Center for Responsive Politics. So incumbents have, have essentially rigged the system. They have stacked the deck against outsiders. Congress is a career political class, primarily of uh, lawyers and, and lifelong politicians, and we're not getting the diversity that our country deserves. Where are the teachers serving in Congress? Where are the the doctors, where are the, the firefighters, where are the nurses? I mean, if, if we had term limits, we would get a true citizen legislature uh, that reflects what our country looks like. The video of the testimony we've clipped and we've put on our Facebook page, I've shared it. It's got 62,000 views. It's already got over 2,000 shares. It's really resonating with people. And the most common comment that I'm hearing, which is really heartening, is thank you for speaking up for me. This is what I've thought about Congress for such a, a very long time, and I've never really heard somebody go into Capitol Hill 
and express my feelings. And I think this is exactly what the swamp needed to hear. Um, so that that is so encouraging. And I hope that people who are moved by this clip and are moved by this progress they're seeing in Washington will consider getting more involved in this movement because we're, we're really on the cusp of doing something historic here. I truly believe that we're going to get this done if we continue to build this movement and continue to overwhelm our elected officials with energy and strength and the vision for a better country. So, you know, that's been good to hear. That's great. Well, I was moved too, and I just want to thank you again, Nick. Great job. A fire was lit last week in Washington, and we need to fan the flames. No matter what state you live in, please go to termlimits.com forward slash SJR1 and send a message to your senators asking them to support SJR1, Senator Cruz's U.S. Term Limits Amendment Bill. Tell them you watched or listened to the Senate hearings and you want to see SJR1 get a vote. If you see a news story or meme about the hearings, share them with your networks. Also, feel free to send us an email at podcast at termlimits.com and tell us what you think of our podcast. Next week, we'll share more clips from these historic hearings. Thanks for being part of the team. This hearing is adjourned.